0: I always like, um, just as conversation starters or just random conversation with friends, uh, just weird questions that are never really gonna happen, but they're fun to to ponder. If you were given a superpower, what superpower would you want? Now there's just, I I saw uh, Black Panther yesterday or a couple days ago. Yeah, I'm a little slow on some of these movies. I know that's been out for a while. Uh, but there's a lot of movies out that with that feature superheroes, and they each have their own unique superpowers. So what is one to just kind of—this is a rhetorical question for you to think to, to yourself. This is a very um, audible congregation, so I have to preface it with think to yourself. Um, if you could ask for any superpower, would, what would it be? And those of you that ask for uh, the superpower to be invisible, you scare me, okay? (laughs) Because I know you're up to no good if that's the superpower that you want. But um, if you could ask for any superhero power, what would it be? We started looking last week at this passage in Luke 11. If you weren't here, I'm going to bring you up to speed. That's no problem. But uh, the disciples came to Jesus. Now, These disciples had seen Jesus do amazing things. They saw him teach with an authority that they had never seen before. They saw him feeding thousands. They saw him turning water into wine. They saw him healing the sick and raising the dead. All of these things they saw Jesus do. And so they look at Jesus and they say, we want you to teach us to pray. Now, isn't that interesting? If you could ask Jesus for anything, if you could ask Jesus for anything that he did, would you ask to pray? And I find that really fascinating. How many of us would be interested in doing some of these big kind of superhero things that Jesus did in the scriptures that's recorded for us, but they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And I think this is really significant. This isn't like they had just kind of run out of questions and thought this would be a good conversation starter. I think they knew something. They they witnessed something in watching Jesus pray that made them think, above all else, what we're going to ask for is for him to teach us to pray. And I wonder if we underestimate the superpowers there are in prayer. I wonder if we fail to recognize what those disciples did, and that is that God, through prayer, does incredible things. Now, very simply, we define prayer as communication with God. There's probably a lot of uh, ways to be more specific um, about prayer or about particular types of prayer if you're going to define them. But really, uh, prayer is communication with God, two-way communication. It is uh, voicing our heart to him and it is receiving his words um in in our soul as well so it is a two-way thing and this series is called bold belief how to pray our boldness does not come from the the fact that we have been in church consistently and we've heard some really good people pray and we've picked up on their phrases and now we know how to pray our boldness in prayer does not come from a class or a book or anything like that. Our boldness comes from believing that God is here, that God hears what we have to say, and he responds. We believe that God is good. And because God is good, and not just he is good, but he looks at us and he says, you are good. Because of that, we can boldly go to him in prayer. And so in today's passage that we're going to look at, we're given a picture of Father God by way of a parable. Jesus shares this parable, and what he does in this is he contrasts a grumpy neighbor with an ever-loving God. It's a parable of, uh, not of comparisons, but of contrast. And so before we read that, let me give you just a little bit more context. in, in context, what's taken place as Luke is kind of writing out these stories um, and he has just kind of this big picture in mind, this point that he's trying to make as he pulls all of these pictures together. If you go to the end of Luke 10, which is right at, uh, that's what precedes what we now know as Luke 11:1. Luke didn't write verse numbers and all that stuff when he put it together, but as he wrote this narrative, um, the passage that he had right before the disciples asked, "Teach us to pray." is the story of Mary and Martha. And in the story of Mary and Martha, Martha is serving, and she's really distracted in all that she is doing, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and they are communicating. And what did we say communication with God is? Prayer. We wouldn't, right, we, we would kind of, if we were there, we would say she's talking to Jesus. Today we would say, you're praying. So Jesus and Mary... Together communicating prayer. Martha is a little frustrated because she feels like she's doing all the work by herself. And Jesus says, um, Martha, 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 Marsha, Marsha, (laughs) Marsha, Mary has chosen what is best. In other words, Jesus is saying, prayer is what is best. It's really good. Now, Before we kind of take that too far and we go, oh, well, all we need to do is pray. No, he's not saying prayer is best and you don't need to serve. In fact, what had Jesus done with the disciples right before that story? Well, Luke 10 opens up with Jesus calling together 72 of his followers and sending them out on their first short term mission trip. And he picked the ones, there was a big crowd of people, he picked the 72 that were on the back row. That were uh that were looking at their cell phones and were really distracted, but he said, I, I am calling you to go on this short term mission trip. And so we have this kind of kind of it almost seems like a contrast, but it's not. It's these two things go together. God has called us to serve and he has called us to pray, and woe to us if we serve without praying. And woe to us if we pray and never step out and serve. In fact, prayer played a really important part in the mission trip. And if you have heard any of these students share about their recent Northern Ireland trip, that's one of the things they will tell you is prayer played a very important role. You see in Luke 10, prayer is what led these disciples to know where to go to serve. Prayer is what they did as they were serving, calling on the Holy Spirit to speak through them as they were serving. And then when they came back and gave a report to Jesus, They prayed and gave glory to God for the fruit that was born out of their time of serving. Prayer and serving, these two go together and we can't separate them but the disciples aren't saying, teach us how to do better at casting out demons. The disciples aren't saying, teach us how to feed everybody that we see. The disciples are saying, teach us to pray. And I I know that they saw the link between these two. So, there is this before, during, and after impact of prayer when we serve and we come before God and we humbly say, prayer is not something that comes natural to me. Prayer is not something that I would say I'm good at. I want you to teach me how to pray. Prayer is vital. It is irreplaceable. And before we turn to our passage today, would probably be good if we prayed. So let's do just that. Father, I believe that you are here among us. I believe um, that there are people in this room who have chosen to follow you, who have opened up their hearts to you. And in them, your Holy Spirit dwells. I pray that you will stir up that Holy Spirit to give them ears to hear and feet that are quick to respond. Father, for those that are still on this journey and have yet to acknowledge your goodness and your nearness, I pray that this will be the day. Eyes open, hearts open, receptive to you. Lord, help me to remain in an attitude of prayer as I serve you in speaking. May everyone in this room remain in an attitude of prayer, just in their own way, just whispering to you, God, what do you have to say to me today? Change me. So we pray these things, and we want to continue to pray these things in your name. Amen. Luke 11, verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. In other words, this is just non-stop knocking, banging on the door. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And as I said earlier, this parable, this story that Jesus tells is not to compare the neighbor who was awakened in the middle of the night, but to contrast. It's given over and above against this this neighbor. And I wanted us to just kind of parallel these and to see that um, you could get a grumpy neighbor to do certain things, but it's a whole different level of receiving when a good and willing father comes to you. And so uh, kind of in a couple of columns here, um, there are some characteristics if you go back through this. In fact, this is a um, something that you'll do as a life group for those of you that are following the discussion notes. The neighbor in this story is reluctant. He was asleep. Well, he was asleep until there was a really loud knock on the door. Um, he gave, I put gag gifts, but it, does that seem a little strange? If your child asked for fish, you would give him a snake, and if he asked for an egg, give him a scorpion? Well, a little bit more on that later, but strange, okay? Uh, the neighbor, very irritable. Maybe we don't blame him, okay? Um, how many of us like having our beauty sleep interrupted? The neighbor answers to avoid shame. In other words, the neighbor realizes if he doesn't do something, he's going to have a really bad reputation in, in the, among, among the neighborhood. Um, he does offer bread, and he is a friend, but it required that person to beat down the door. Now, in contrast, we see that Jesus is willing. Jesus is saying, when you knock, when you ask and seek and knock, I'm already awake. It's not like you've got to pray really loud to stir me to to uh, out of my slumber. God gives good gifts, and only good gifts, not gifts that harm. the uh, The fish and snake and scorpion and egg thing in that area. There were um, some fish that kind of had a snake like presence. Some water snakes. And so he's saying, if you ask for a fish, why would I give you a water snake? In this scorpion and egg thing, there was a scorpion that when it curled up, it was in the shape of an egg. And so obviously there's a big difference between a scorpion and an egg. Um, I, maybe you like scorpions sunny side up, not me, but we've got, um, God giving good gifts. He's hospitable. He's unselfish in the way he answers. In other words, the neighbor at first was really uncomfortable with this because it was disruptive to his schedule. But in this picture, Jesus is saying that there is a very unselfish answer to this. He's not—he will be inconvenienced. Instead of just bread, he is the living bread. He's giving himself. And note the closeness of this relationship. Not just a friend— But when we ask and seek and knock, we're talking to our Father in heaven. We talked about this last week. And instead of beating down the door, we realize because of this father-child relationship, we're already in that house. Remember, he is the God below the ceiling. He is here with us. And so we see these, these, uh, these contrasts And I want us to look at this ask and seek and knock. How can we approach with boldness, knowing that that God the Father, through his Son, is willing and awake and gives good gifts and is hospitable and he's eager to meet with us? Well, I want us to understand, before we dive into some of these individual things, that when it says ask, seek, and knock, the tense of that verb is one that indicates that this is a present, ongoing action. So in other words, if we were to read it literally, it would say, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. So that might seem a little strange if we're saying, well, that one guy had to pound on the door repeatedly. So why do we have to keep knocking? Why would we have to keep asking? And so we're going to, we look at that in just a second. Um, this, this interaction of prayer there are a lot of perspectives, there are a lot of views, interpretations of this passage. And let me just tell you, I have heard some horrible interpretations of this passage, okay? Um, that I believe that this passage has been abused um, with, with how it is sometimes applied. Um, and some of them uh, aren't, are not too far off, some of them are accurate. But let me just kind of run through some of these things that I have heard regarding this ask, seek, and knock In prayer. One view is that we keep asking long enough and eventually God will give in. That if we are the squeakiest wheel, then God will address that and he will grease that wheel. But we've got to really be persistent and obnoxious to get God's attention. A second view I've heard is um, say please the first time. And say thank you after that, believing that God has answered. Because if you keep on asking, then really what you're saying is, I don't believe God heard me. And so if you're asking, it's almost like you, it's a sign of a lack of faith. Why, why are you still asking? God heard you. Can you see how that could be a little frustrating? Maybe you've heard something like that. Um, another view is, well, really, we don't even have to bother asking because God already knows everything we need. So we just pray it, believing that he knows, and then we drop it. Um, Another view is when you become super spiritual, then you will grow to this point where you have no desires and no wants, and you'll never ask God for anything because you are just perfectly fine where you are. And I can tell by your chuckle that you realize that that is not very possible, okay? Okay. And we're not designed to do that. A father and a child is okay with a relationship, is very fine with a relationship where a child will offer petitions, will make requests. And so I want to just look at this passage from the vantage point of how I have experienced prayer. And that's not the only way. I wouldn't say that's even the, the only interpretation of this passage because it gets a little messy at times with some of this. And I acknowledge that there are some things that I'm still kind of trying actually praying that God will reveal to me about prayer. But I want to share with you how my experience in praying persistently, um, in praying persistently, and asking and seeking and knocking, how that has uh, resulted in my life. And the best way I could I could I could word it is, prayer has been transforming for me. When I. And praying and asking, whether I'm asking a petitionary prayer, something for myself, or an intercessory prayer, praying and asking for someone else on behalf of someone else, um, as I am seeking and as I am knocking, the greatest thing that I have experienced in my brief lifetime of praying is that what has taken place as God is preparing me and bringing me to a place where he can trust me with the answer that he gives it's less about what I want right now and more about what God wants to do in me and prepare me to be the person that can carry out whatever his answer is. Um, I don't believe that ask, seek, and knock is a formula to get God's attention. Um, I believe that it is acknowledging that by God's grace, we already have his full attention. And he's given us this pattern for prayer, and it's clear that the center of that prayer, as we look at it again in context, not just looking at this one passage by itself, what's very clear is Jesus has directed us already to God and his kingdom. He's already given us a model prayer where he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So at the center of this is God. At the center of prayer is God, not you. At the center of prayer is God, not me. And one of the most powerful things that has happened in my life as I pray, and this is still, I've got a long ways to go in this, but he is reshaping, transforming me to where my desires become more like God's desires, where I experience the kingdom in a way that I want to see his kingdom come. And so I find myself more and more asking and seeking and knocking For God and his goodness to be made known here on earth. So let's look at some of these individually. And I think this will help you see um, just that you can come before him and ask and seek and knock with boldness. And you will experience his goodness as as you go through this. Ask. Ask and keep on asking is what Jesus instructs us here. Asking reveals our desires. Asking reveals our desires. This word for ask in the Greek is a—it's an intense form of ask. It's not like just raising your hand in class and you you ask a question. It is begging, craving, and desiring. That's how that word is, is often translated throughout the scriptures. So there is a real intensity here. And when we ask... It really reveals our desires to us, not just to God. But as we ask and keep on asking, the more you are voicing that, the more you are realizing, is this really what I want? Are we really responding to the deep desires of our heart? Is that what we're voicing? Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, says this, the more we ask, I think it's like peeling back layers of an onion and we get to where we can truly ask for these deep desires of our heart and God meets us there. Um, several years ago I was subbing at a middle school on a regular basis and they enjoyed giving me the worst classes ever. And uh, I was, uh, always came home with, uh, just a good story every time. And, uh, one, one class in particular, the teacher of all things, made it very clear that she did not want any students leaving to go to the bathroom unless it was an emergency. That was the number one note that she gave me in her lesson plans. So I communicated that to the group. I said, nobody's leaving for the bathroom unless it's an emergency. Got it? Got it. We don't get into class very far at all. This guy comes up to the class, this little boy, and says, I gotta go to the bathroom. And I said, is it an emergency? He said, yeah. I said, it doesn't look like it's an emergency. He looked at me funny, I said, if it was an emergency, like you'd be jumping up and down, you know, with this, you know, this strained look on your face. Like I gotta go now, this isn't an emergency. He goes, it is. And I said, well, prove it. <laughs> and so he's, he looks at me funny, I said, jump up and down. If this is an emergency, you'll jump up and down. So he kind of just did this, he goes, now can I go? I go no, not at all. And so now the rest of the class is looking and just long story short, before it was done, legs squeezed together, he is jumping up and down nonstop and everybody's kind of laughing and he thought it was kind of funny. I go, okay, now that looks like an emergency. You may now go use the restroom. So I was making him ask and ask and ask. And in this process, I just kind of wanted to see really what was going on with him. Now, Again, this is not a comparison for prayer. This is um, Asking in prayer is not like that. God is a loving God that does not have a mischievous side that says, oh, really, is this an emergency in your life? We'll prove it. He's not saying, I want to see how serious you are about this. But I'd be willing to bet that many of us have attempted to hop around, jumping in an attempt to get God's attention and prove that we are serious And we try and pray with this renewed intensity. But God's responses to our prayers cannot be earned. Really, what we do is we position ourselves to receive those answers. We position ourselves to receive the answer that God gives us. And as we are making these requests, we do kind of come to know what it is that we're really desiring, what it is that we are asking for. God knows what you need and desire, whether it's an emergency or not, and God does rejoice in giving good things. Let that undergird all of your asking. So we ask, because asking reveals our desires, and we seek, and we keep on seeking. And what seeking does is it alerts us to the object of our worship. Seeking alerts us to the object of our worship. When we are seeking God in prayer, what are we really after? What are we really after? Jeremiah 29:11 is a verse that's on a lot of uh, cross-stitched and whatever, poster boards and things like that. Verses 12 through 14, let's read those. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. Seeking and seeking him, seeking him, not just something from him. Seeking, um, the way that we seek is uh, it's through thinking and meditating, reflecting on God and his word, Um, but very closely, and this was interesting in, in more than one commentary that I read, this word seek is very closely related to the word worship. When we are seeking, we are worshiping. God tells us, uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew six thirty three, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Um, throughout the Psalms, you read uh, verses like you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Seeking is a matter of paying attention and engaging our mind with an acute awareness. The seeking is really directing our thoughts intently. We are tuning in to God. Let me describe it to you this way. If you wanted to, um, by way of radio... Listen to the Sharks game at 4:30 this afternoon. Is that what it is? 4:30? Yep. You would turn into what radio station? Thank you. 98.5. There's a game this afternoon, okay? And you can listen to it on 98.5. Of course you can watch it, but um, let's say that um, let's say you turn your radio dial to 106.5 at 4:30. And you come to the conclusion um, while you're listening to 106.5, whatever's playing on that station, you come to the conclusion that, oh, well, maybe the Sharks aren't playing today. I'm listening to the radio, I'm at 106.5, and uh, the Sharks aren't playing. Or what if somebody next to you is tuned into 98.5, and they're listening to the Sharks game, but you're tuned in to 106.5 and you're not listening to the Sharks game, how weird would it be or sad would it be if you just kind of looked at them and go, well, I guess the Sharks love you more than they do me. (laughs) Apparently they wanted you to hear the game. They don't care if I hear the game and the whole time you're on 106.5 or to take this to an extreme, let's say I have listened to 106.5 for my entire life. I have never once heard a Sharks game. How weird would it be if I said, well, I don't think the Sharks even exist because I've never heard a game. And I'm tuned in to where? 106.5. God is speaking, God is broadcasting, he's making his voice heard and his will known. Our part is to tune in to God. To tune into his will will by adjusting our heart and our thoughts to hear him. Prayer is communication with God. It's our responsibility to tune in to him. In times of silence and waiting, you might be tempted to say that God has nothing to say. Well, apparently, apparently God's not speaking right now because I don't hear him. Or in times of silence and waiting, if you've not tuned in, you might be thinking, well, other people hear God clearly. Apparently he loves them more than he loves me because I'm I'm not hearing anything right now. And then in extended seasons of silence and waiting, we could come to the conclusion that maybe God doesn't exist. There is a tuning of our lives that we must do. And it's through this spiritual exercise of prayer that we tune into God. And we also become more attuned to ourselves through this asking And as we're seeking, we become more attuned to ourselves. In other words, we we become more attuned to the subtle and not-so-subtle ways that our dials have turned away from God rather than towards him. How quickly do we give up in prayer? When we don't get the answers or hear his voice, do we assume that God is just not broadcasting right now in this season of life? Do we begin to question his existence question his goodness so here is um here's two things i would like for you to do later this week and we're going to practice this at the very end of uh, my talk here in a a couple minutes but um think of it this way i want you to tune out the static and tune into god this week i want you to take time to tune out the static um tune out the excess noise and the distracting hum that interferes with a clearer connection with god have a certain place that you go to because it eliminates the distractions. Tune out as many distractions as you can and tune in to God through ongoing reflection, reading scripture and chewing on that and reflecting on that, listening to worship music as you drive your car. Um, Give yourself towards a greater awareness of God and his presence with you. Tuning out And tuning in. Remember, seeking is a matter of paying attention with an engaged mind and an acute awareness. And very quickly, knocking. Knock and keep on knocking. Throughout scripture, doors represent opportunities. What are the opportunities that God has for you? An open door is not necessarily the end goal. It merely provides a clear pathway to the goal. If you're knocking on a door, the goal is not to just get to that door and knock on it until it's open. No, you want what's on the other side of that door. You want to go through that door. And so you have this opportunity through knocking, through asking, seeking, and now knocking. What is that opportunity? What's on the other side of that? When we ask, we reveal our desires. When we seek, we reveal who or what we worship. And when we knock, we can better answer that question, how will we respond to open doors of opportunities? There is, uh, there is still this greatest gift that I believe that God has for us. Um, how many of you with kids have gone away, whether it's for a business trip or something, you've been out of the house for a few days, and your kids, when you come home, before they give you a hug, they say, did you get me anything? <laughs> I am still longing for the day when my kids are excited at my response of, you're looking at him. <laughs> I, you get me. And that's usually this really sad look, and then you turn around and walk off. You know how it goes. Luke eleven thirteen, 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God not only gives good gifts, God gives himself. God gives himself. Imagine how awful it would be to give a gift, but to never be present again in your child's life. God gives himself. Yes, he gives good gifts, but he always gives himself. God is good. And that's why we can come to him with boldness God gives what is good for us. God gives in response to the goodness of who he is. So practically speaking, okay, so you get the Holy Spirit. So you get God. What what does that mean? What is is included in this gift of the Holy Spirit? I put together, uh, there's more than this, but just a list of 10 benefits of the Holy Spirit. When God gives you himself, when God gives you his spirit, These are some things that you receive. You receive him who helps you when you pray, who comforts you in times of affliction, who guides you to all that is true and righteous. He cleanses you. He fills you with peace and tranquility. He refreshes you with hope and with love. He regenerates you, brings you to life He will accompany you at all times. And He convicts of sin, but I want you to think of it this way, not just like in this needling way, but because the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, you no longer have to be the judge. You don't have to judge yourself. You don't have to be that judge of your spouse or or someone else that is sinning. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. So He convicts of sin so that we are free from being judgmental and he reminds us of important things that we forgot. In receiving the Holy Spirit, we have life, light, hope and heaven. We have the Father's endless love, the Son's atoning blood and communion with these three persons of the Trinity. So here's what I want uh, to do before we step into our time of communion. I'm gonna ask you, um, in helping you to tune out, I'm going to ask you to get in a comfortable position and close your eyes. Just sit in a comfortable position, not so comfortable that you fall asleep, okay? Don't tune out that much, all right? Um, but I just want you to, to close your eyes, and I'm going to kind of guide you in, uh, in some things that you can offer to God in the form of a prayer, And we just said that the Holy Spirit reminds us of things. And remembering is a big part of communion. Um, We believe that Jesus said, remember me on a regular basis as we partake of the bread and the cup. So in preparation for that, begin by tuning out distractions. Whatever it is that you carried in here that was so heavy on your mind, can you just set that to the side for just a moment? Maybe imagine setting that at the foot of the cross and looking into his face. Sometimes one of the most distracting things in our life is disobedience. Has there been some type of disobedience recently in your life that you need to confess to? Tune out that, not by ignoring it, but by placing it at the foot of the cross confess freely your sins to God without groveling or beating yourself up. Remember, you don't have to be the judge. And then ask. Ask God for forgiveness. what you're in the process of doing right now is tuning in to God reflect on God his goodness thank him for his spirit who lives among us and tune in to Jesus and his sacrifice for you his body represented by this bread that we're about to partake of offered for you is atoning blood shed for you? Let's pray. Father, our Father in heaven, you are good. You are here among us, your spirit is alive in this place. We honor you by remembering the great sacrifice love of Jesus.